Welcome to the Tech End podcast series. I'm Mark Gibson, KPMG's US technology, media, and telecommunications leader. And on this podcast, I'm joined by leaders across industries to discuss pressing issues and technology's impact on business and the world around us. And on today's podcast, I'm thrilled to be joined by two guests, Lincoln Clark, who leads our global semiconductor practice, and Scott Jones, a principal in our deal advisory and strategy practice. And Lincoln and Scott are joining me today as we dive into some of the latest as it relates to semiconductors. And these semiconductors have such a great impact on our lives, everything from our computers, our cell phones, and our cars. And we've all certainly seen semiconductors in the news a lot lately. So thanks, Lincoln and Scott, for joining me today. Lincoln, why don't I start with you? Uh, everywhere I turn, I hear about the chip shortage, and you know we've seen a lot of news and announcements by the auto industry over the last six months, for example, where they've been cutting production due to to the semiconductor shortage. Maybe you could give us a little in, insight. What's led to that, and is there an end in sight to these shortages? Sure. Thanks, Mark. So I think the automotive is probably the most visible and maybe the most reported demonstration of the importance of semiconductors to to not only the global economy, but also, as you touched on a little bit, just our way of life. The semiconductor content and significance of their application to so many other products from you know PCs and 5G phones, but to things like workout equipment, fridges, and, and other smart household appliances has become very apparent, I think, as the demand for such items has surged after the initial COVID shutdown in the spring of 2020. Specifically for automotive, though, which is, uh, you know, your point of interest here, I think the key factors I would think about are tied to some of the following thoughts. So auto suppliers, you know, quickly managed down production of vehicles and canceled orders for core semiconductors and other components, too, when demand for cars stalled in the first few months of COVID um, early last year. Many, under, many other industries, though, who needed semiconductors didn't cancel to the same extent or even at all in some cases, even though, similar to the car industry, their demand was negatively impacted too. When demand for pretty much everything reignited again in the summer of 2020, car demand obviously surged and the auto industry quickly reached back to the semi-vendors to reestablish their orders. However, by the time the auto industry you know, reached out, they found themselves at the back of the, the semiconductor foundry and assembly line queue as the capacity they gave up a few months earlier had been reallocated to, uh, to other customers. So then when you tie that to the long lead times from start to finish for semi-production um, and you know, automotive industry being at the back of the queue, and typically automotive uh, supply or automotive manufacturers, you know, are focused on a supply chain on a just-in-time basis. It's a bit of a perfect storm. They had to close and reduce their uh, production cuts and factory closures because they were running out of semiconductors for the for the vehicles and trucks that they were making. I think the second piece of your question is tied to, you know, is there an end and how that's going to happen? I mean, the long-term solution is is increased capacity. Uh, you know, however, with founders at or close to maximum utilization at the moment, significant changes in supply and are really only going to come from new production facilities. And a couple of things tried to to new semiconductor production facilities. One, they're super expensive. So think of 10 to 15 billion dollars minimum for a new leading node fab, together with equipment. 
And obviously something of that scale and size, you know, needs a significant amount of time to build and calibrate. So, you know, that's another 18 months to two and a half year sort of time period minimum too. So, but if your listeners are interested in learning more about the semiconductor shortage, Scott and his team prepared a great paper uh, just a few months ago called Surviving the Silicon Storm, which uh, I'd highly recommend it. Well, well, thanks for the plug, Lincoln. Uh, A few things I would add to that is that you know, one of the things that I don't think the market expected is that there's really great unit growth across all of the end markets continuing this year, whereas we probably thought we would get caught up for automotive midway through the year. Here we are in August with most of the earnings announcements saying that they expect the market to be tight well into next year. Thanks, guys. It's interesting. Perfect storm scenarios obviously don't happen often. It really does seem like this one's converged at the same time. Scott, let me direct my next question to you. Um, Interesting times with the global pandemic. Uh, We've had a uh, presidential election in the middle of that pandemic and a, a shift in the government, at least in the U.S., what are you hearing with regards to the government's providing incentives or any efforts to increase the supply of semiconductors in regions in the U.S. or in the EU? I'm interested in what you're hearing around government uh, actions and incentives. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really hot topic at the moment as, you know, certain governments like China have, have been focused on semiconductors for quite some time and it's been core to their central planning policies. Other governments across the West have, have really woken up to this issue and I, I think uh, United States with their passing of the, the Chips for the U.S. Act or Chips for America Act uh, in April of this year uh, is kind of the first step in putting fiscal policy in to encourage investment in semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. The European Union has, has cited the need for digital sovereignty and, and wants to make sure that they have kind of the local support that they you know, need for their supply chains for semiconductor supply into some of their strategic uh, end markets, such as automotive and aerospace and defense. Uh, we're also seeing this in areas even uh, like India, which are expected, you know, at some time in the next 60 days to announce new policies around investments uh, and incentives to bring semiconductor manufacturing facilities to, to their shores. So a lot of governments are focused on this, and, you know, we think there will be a lot of incentive plans put in place. But fiscal policy takes quite a bit of time to kind of be digested and, and you know, begin to impact the market. So uh, we think it's probably going to be 18 to 24 months before we see real impact from a lot of these initiatives from the government. Yeah, just a couple of points. Uh, you know, I mean, there's certainly this nationalistic view, I think, as well around, you know, where semiconductor production sits, particularly, you know, at the leading edge of semiconductor development if you think about some of the concerns in the U.S. with regards to defense, for example, and some of the debate and discussion around it's important to have a well-established substantial size of semiconductor production in the here here in the U.S., and, uh, you know, certainly that's driving a lot of discussion. Scott, given the uh, the, the delays and the, the time the shortage may go on and the, the time it takes for a government incentive program to go in place. Maybe let's talk a bit about what we've seen in the deal market. I know you spend a lot of time in the deal market yourself, and it seems like the semi industry has been a real hotbed for M&A over the last oh, at least five or six years. And it seems like that's continuing, continuing with a number of transactions in progress today. What observations do you have about the the deal market for semi, the continuance of that, and, and you know, given all the shortages and the government incentive programs that we've talked about so far? 
Yeah, it, the dual market continues to be really hot for semiconductors. If you look back over the past you know decade, a lot of those deals have been driven by consolidation, as uh, you know the market didn't experience heavy growth uh, to the extent you know historical levels. Um, you know, in the semiconductor industry had, had demonstrated, but now we really see it more as a growth play, and you know, many companies taking advantage of the mega trends around connectivity. Internet of Things, uh, the 5G rollout, artificial intelligence. So, as we look at the supply chain constraints, you know they're really thinking about, all right, how can I take advantage of this? Look at supply chain footprints and and make sure that you know I, you know I'm buying companies or uh, partnering with companies that have uh, the right footprint and are exposed to the right markets. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about is, is really um, the nationalization of supply chains also going with access to markets and you know China has uh, been a, a a market that looked for kind of a, a bit of a kind of pay to play type of, of scheme where you needed to have some of your operation in China and be employing you know Chinese engineering talent to get access to that market so it is quite a consideration as we think about M&A and making sure that you still have a sufficient footprint in China to, to take advantage of the explosive growth in, in that economy. The other dynamic we see is SPACs. Several companies within the semiconductor sector have gone public through SPACs recently. Uh, they're well capitalized and, and they're looking to grow quite a bit, you know, to use those dollars to secure a more in-house vertically integrated supply chain for themselves, uh, as well as using those dollars to go out and, and roll up smaller acquisitions that are going to help drive growth for them. The last trend I would point to is, you know, software. Semiconductor companies uh, are, you know, dependent upon software as part of the ecosystem that makes them successful. So you're really seeing a lot of semiconductor companies go kind of outside of their core competency and start to do deals at pretty high valuation for uh, software assets that they believe can, can help them grow. So the explosive growth in the semiconductor industry uh, really is kind of spurring uh, a lot of opportunity for for MA. Makes sense. Uh, thanks for that insight, Lincoln. Let me let me throw a little curveball here as my last question as we wrap this up. And any anybody that's listened to my podcast in the past knows that we generally bring ESG into most of our discussions, as it just seems to be the hot topic across all industries and certainly within the tech industry. Is there anything specific around ESG that you'd note for the semiconductor ecosystem that you can, you can share with us today? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of things, but maybe if I can just make a couple of general ESG observations because I think, as you said, it's uh, become uh, you know a hot item for pretty much all industries, and you know all companies I think are finding themselves on some sort of ESG journey. You know, interacting with the key stakeholders and working through whatever the challenges and opportunities might be for them, and in a number of the board meetings and subcommittee meetings I've been in in the last three to six months has also become a you know a major topic at, at the at the board level of a lot of public companies here and um, I think the other piece that sometimes gets lost is that ESG is not just a compliance and risk mitigation exercise but I think there's a real potential to unlock value with some of these different stakeholders specifically in the semiconductor ecosystem though I, I think you've seen um, 
most companies in the semi-space been publishing for a number of years now what you know typically get called corporate social responsibility or sustainability reports that cover most aspects of what people would wrap into the current ESG conversation and consideration. And if you haven't looked at any of those, they are a great source of information. Um, they're pretty substantial uh, as well. And they, they gave a very comprehensive view, I think, of semiconductor companies, you know, social and enviro environmental impacts. If you think about the foundries, they're talking about the water, water usage, recycling, power consumption, and how they're managing that in their local and country environments through to their fabulous semiconductor level, you know, how they're thinking about how their end user customers application of their product might impact um, you know all of us uh, as well so if i think about what our clients are asking us kpmg to think about you know they're asking us to help them think about how they start to build in processes to start to measure and report and think about the sources of data so that if for example the sec does ask for some sort of um attestation uh, of some sort either by management or or third parties that you know that they're in a position to have that uh, reviewed and tested it's certainly an evolving area i i think you know depending where you are in the semiconductor ecosystem uh, you know there's different things to think about whether that you know where you might emphasize the e the s or the g but it, but it's definitely an area that's getting a lot of attention and i don't see that changing anytime soon yeah, I was just going to add, you know, I think one of the things that's going to be important as the semiconductor industry has a, a very diverse set of vendors, um, I think the suppliers in the, into the semiconductor industry are, are going to be uh, required to, to partner very closely with them on, on a lot of the disclosures and, and providing data. Uh, and some of the technology solutions there, I think, from a TMT perspective are, are quite interesting as we think about applications of blockchain and, and just different software solutions that are going to be employed. I think it's going to uh, spur quite an industry around this and, and create a lot of opportunities for, for support for these companies. Yeah, totally agree. I agree. The topic is only going to become more and more prevalent, and I think the semi-ecosystem is going to be right in the middle of all that. Well, uh, Lincoln and Scott, as, as I bring this to a close, uh, thank you so much for your time today. As, as you guys were talking today, I was sitting here in my house thinking about the three or four laptops, the, all the cell phones my family has in this house, the, the kitchen appliances and the cars out in the driveway, just uh, hoping those things don't break anytime soon, given the shortages and the uh, the perspectives you guys have given around uh, the shortages. But it's, it's fascinating stuff. I know you guys have been uh, really luminary leaders uh, for our firm and certainly our clients. So thank you for that as well. For all of you listening today, thanks for joining us today. I hope you found this uh, episode of Tech and interesting, and I look forward to bringing podcast episodes to you in the future. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day, and thanks for listening. <laughs>